Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. But this is actually a very special edition of Mormon Media Reviews with my special co-host, Rebecca Biblioteca. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Steve. I'm great. How are you? Uh, doing great. Everything's wonderful. Um, getting a lot of love from the audience, a lot of great comments from people about what we're doing. Um, we just want to thank you so much uh, for people reaching out to us. And, and telling me their stories, telling Rebecca their stories. And this channel has become a, a way station, if you will, of the restoration, a place where all the voices are going to be heard. And so we're all excited. And we're also very excited about this guest that we have. Now, for those of you who are active on social media, a few weeks ago, you probably saw this movie documentary being talked about by Rebecca, who was posting on social media. And it's called The Return of Elder Pingree, A Memoir of a Departed Mormon. And there was a lot of people talking about it. And so I actually um, was able to rent it last week and it's available on Amazon for rent. And uh, I was able to get it and I watched it. <clears throat> and I have to tell you, I was touched by this film. And I'm a Nevermo, right? But it was really great. I was really amazed by it. It was under my radar screen. And Rebecca, I wanna thank you so much for, for, for finding this film. And so I asked Rebecca, I said, Rebecca, I want you to take the lead today. I want you to ask the first question. Uh, Jeff is probably one of, is a, is a well-awarded uh, uh, documentary director. Um, he's, he's one of the top people in that industry. Um, and he's, he's well-respected amongst his peers. He's currently at Oberlin College. And, uh, and so we're just excited to have him on. And Rebecca, you, you take it from here. Oh, yeah, you're excited, and I'm triple excited beyond that. So welcome, Jeff. We're so happy to have you here today. Um, I was trying to remember how I even found this documentary. I think someone may have made an obscure post somewhere about it, but as soon as I saw it and I read the title and I kind of realized what it was about, I just thought this was absolutely incredible. And as I started looking into it, um, I saw that this is... This is created by an Emmy Award-making documentary filmmaker. This is an amazing story. It received awards everywhere, but very little known in the Mormon landscape. And, and although it has a universal theme, I think, and we can talk about that as we go on, I feel like the Mormon audience in particular can relate on so many different levels. I could relate. I'm in the process. I My son was preparing to leave on a mission. He just arrived in the field two days ago. So watching this documentary, like Steve said, you're just touched on so many different levels. So once I watched it, and it is for rent on Amazon for only $2.99. Like you can rent this today. Turn this off and rent it now and then come back. <laughs> but um, I, at that point, I sort of had a twofold mission. I felt like I need to let everybody know in the Mormon landscape about this, because this is just amazing and inspiring and amazing story. And the second thing I wanted to do is see if Steve and I could reach out to Jeff and possibly talk to him about this amazing project and, and everything surrounding it. And so I put a message out. Um, just on social media, on Facebook, and amazingly got a response. And I think Jeff had said, I never check my social media. <laughs> so it's kind of a little miracle that we're even sitting here today. So we are just absolutely thrilled to be talking to Jeff. So I think I'd like to start out just by talking a little bit about your background so Steve's audience can kind of get to know you. And, and then we'll delve into how this, how this happened and was created and, and go forward from there. So if you'd like to just talk a little bit about you to begin with, that would be great. 
Sure. Uh, but, but I mean, thank you for having me on. It is a pleasure, Stephen, Rebecca. I'm, I'm delighted to talk to you about this. Um, let's see. It's, it's, um, I mean, films like any major project take, uh, a long time, a lot longer than most people think, and certainly a lot longer than any, anyone wants. Um, mo typically films take, you know, anywhere from three to five or six years for me. Um, this one, was more like 13 years. And um, it, it began because I, I guess I would say it, it began in the years following my mission, as I realized on the one hand that my mission and the relationships with the people I had met there and many of whom I had baptized into the, into the church were really meaningful relationships that stayed with me, the people, um, on the one hand, and on, but on the other hand, uh, I was sort of personally, I was I wasn't attending so much. I was kind of moving away from the activity in the church. Um, I come from a family that is, uh, you know, very Mormon. My parents are both from Salt Lake. They both come from these sort of pioneer Mormon families. There's all kinds of, you know, prominent people and general authorities in the in our lineage. So it's it's that kind of a family, and so there's a high level of expectation. Um, about you know one's one's activity in the church and, and what we believe and and also i would say a very close family there are six kids so eight of us and um and that that's an important factor that i'm, I'm sure i'll re return to but i uh i just realized as the years passed um and when i say the years i mean the, the four or five years after my mission that uh this important experience and set of relationships was sort of existed and in, increasingly existed in a sort of buffered zone that was far away from me because I didn't uh, I wasn't sort of connecting to it by, by going to church and um I realized that when, when friends would ask me that I never looked at my journals and I never looked at the pictures I took and while I was a missionary I was I was almost archivally manic I I wrote letters home every week and and not just to my family i wrote an average i think of seven letters a week on p day and you know that we we're, we're not talking about internet and computers and everything else we're talking about typewriter letters or handwritten letters and i was pretty pretty archival about journals i, I filled four fat you know the official journals that you get from the church i filled four of those and i took about 2100 uh 35 millimeter color slides that that I sent home to be developed. So I never saw a single one of them while I was a missionary. Um, I only saw them after my mission. Um, but I had also, I had all this stuff, but I realized that I never looked at it. I mean, and at a certain point I realized it wasn't just that I didn't have time to get to it, but that I I realized if I was honest, I was kind of avoiding looking at it. I was, I was intentionally staying away from it. Um, and I was talking to someone who, uh, I was very close to then a friend who at one point said, you know, have you ever thought about going back to Guatemala? I said, yeah, I have. And people, you know, go on missions do this a lot um, or think about it a lot. And, and she said, but I mean, going back and actually talking to them about what you believe now. And I thought about that. And my, I remember my answer then was one that I had for a, a few years after that, which was, that would be really interesting and, and meaningful, but difficult. And I don't think that, I'm ready, ready to be honest enough to do that. Because to me, it would only make sense if I was completely honest. 
and being completely honest would make for a, a complicated and probably sometimes awkward or painful set of encounters. And she also at one point said, you know, have you ever thought about doing this in your film work, making a film about it? And so I, that planted a seed. And that was in oh, 2002, one, you know, back at the beginning of this, this century. Um, and I, I, that sort of sat there and, and and I returned to that thought on many occasions, but every time I did, I thought, mm, I'm just like, I don't feel like I'm ready to be completely honest and, and go into that openly and honestly and, and, and engage with people. So uh, in 2005, um, I was going to the, the main media workshops up in Rockport, Maine to do a, a week-long masterclass. And what this is, is, is documentary filmmakers come and they have to, you have to bring a project. So you have to have prepared it and done a lot of pre-production work. And when you get there, you're talking about an, an established project that you've thought through, researched, and are ready to shoot. That was the stage it needed to be at. Well, I had a project like that. Um, and I was looking forward to going, and this was happening in, I think, October, November, and it was September now. And then all of a sudden, the people who were in this project that I had ready to go, uh, two of the main characters dropped out and said, I don't want to participate anymore. And it it shut the film down. So I suddenly was going to this workshop where I had to have a project, but I had no project. And so in, in a kind of maybe, as, as you might say, Rebecca, a, a miraculous way, maybe I'll call it a secular miracle or a filmmaking miracle. But I, um, I realized that if I was going to go to this thing, which I had paid a lot of money to go to already, um, I needed a project and I couldn't come up with something new. The only thing that was doable was one I had been thinking about for a, a while, which was this, this film. And I felt a little bit rushed. But I just thought, okay, well, maybe this just is the time for me to to jump off the cliff and try it. And so I took it up there. And I remember sitting there with, you know, 12 other filmmakers from all over the world, none of them who had the slightest idea about Mormonism or um, and I just remember the the uh, you know, early in the in the workshop, we each would be talking about our project. And I remember when I first was about to speak of it, I remember in my mind just thinking, uh, what are they going to think of this? Are they going to get it? Are they going to think it's ridiculous? Because I realized, and this was the beginning of a long um, series of moments like this, where I realized I was saying more than kind of just talking about a film project. I was saying a lot about me because, you know, this wasn't uh, like a, a film I made in Antarctica or a film about this person. It, it was It was about me, what had happened to me, what I believed, what I felt, my relationships with my family, my relationships with, with the things that kind of I thought about and were sort of dearest to me in my life. And so I, I just remember explaining this film to this group of people and kind of just waiting, you know, like, what will they think? And they really liked it. Um, and I, I realized something interesting that happened then, which was I found that the farther away from Utah I was, the more interested people seemed to be. Now that's that's interesting, and we, maybe we can talk about that later, Rebecca, because it, it kind of echoes what you said earlier about this film has had a life outside of the Mormon community, but not really in. Um, and you know, I, I, at one point, I remember realizing of all the people who worked on the film, the whole crew from shooting it to editing it to everything, the maybe forty people who worked on this film, I was the only Mormon ever, and. That had some interesting implications when we were shooting in Guatemala. Maybe we'll get to that. But 
Um, so, so suddenly I was in this workshop with this film and, and it was, it was a go. And I started working on it pretty, uh, you know, intensely. And the next year, um, in fact, the, 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 the leader of this workshop, um, was so interested in the film that he volunteered to come and be the sound person when I went and shot it. And he did. Um, so in, in 2006, uh, I went down for a month to Guatemala and I knew I needed to take a crew, uh, you know, documentary filmmaking, like a lot of things works better if you plan and prepare. And the problem here was that I couldn't plan very well because I couldn't contact any of the subjects. None of them had email, none of them had phones. Um, and so I realized that I was gonna have to go and just take my chances. And so um, I, I financed that trip literally on my credit card. Uh, but it was a it was a one month trip for six people to Guatemala. Me, I took someone who helped produce it because I was going to be in front of the camera all the time, so I was not going to be able to call the shots once that started. Two production assistants who were my students then here at Oberlin College, and then a sound person, and then the the uh, deep, the deep the cinematographer who was a friend of mine, who was a Swedish cinematographer, whom I had known in Spain when I worked as a journalist. But he he had a lot of experience shooting kind of um, independent films in Latin America. So he both spoke Spanish fluently, but also knew how to move quickly. And this was going to be a one camera shoot. Usually you want to have two cameras to cover a lot more, but this was going to be a one camera shoot. And which means he had to really know what he was getting because you only have one shot and then it's passed. So the six of us went down there for a month for June of in 2006 and just started. And the only thing I could think to do was to go to the church. So I started going to the areas I had been, and basically I just re I retraced the steps I had taken on my mission and went from area to area looking for people. And uh, it was it was kind of remarkable how a lot of the people that I knew and had been close to were exactly where I had left them. Basically, I don't know how else to put it. Um, and so. I started doing this and and um, pretty quickly, something that I, I sort of thought would happen, but hadn't thought enough about began to happen, which was um, every morning it got a little harder for me to get out of bed. And I, I realized I was kind of depressed and it was because of the nature of the conversations, really. Uh, you know, in effect, I was just having a series of conversations in which I would encounter someone I hadn't seen for a while who I loved and had been close to. We would have this burst of warm, you know, like connection and remembrance of what had happened. And we'd start talking and fairly soon we'd be talking about the church. And I would, that moment would come and I could always feel it where I knew I needed to sort of be upfront with them. And I would say, well, you know, I, I haven't gone to church in quite a while and I, you know, and then they would respond in different ways. And, and, and virtually all of them was some version of disappointment, some much more than others. Um, if I recall correctly, none of them really, uh, maybe one exception, but for the most part, they, they saw it as, you know, I had sort of fallen off the correct path and, and I would come back and they would pray for that and they hoped for that. And um, so it was, it was a really strange combination of disappointment on their part sometimes scolding or i wouldn't say lecturing but but kind of evangelizing to me maybe pre preaching a little bit 
and at the same time this uh still tapping into the original connection we had and a great deal of warmth no one was was angry with me no one was cold that that was never the case and so what happened is i started to realize that in some ways this was about relationships and what happens to relationships when people's beliefs change or their views change and i mean that's something we all have to deal with right as we grow up um you have friends and friendships and then people change and what happens to those friendships and you you it makes you think about what what are they based on and what's the the foundation of them so i i mean i, I don't want to i can keep talking but if you want to if you want to get some questions in here I, this sort of puts me into guatemala in 2006 i'm starting to go around the country to shoot so right no we're just mesmerized by what you're saying it's just yeah. i i just can't even tell you the impact that this film is having on people. Um, like I said, I, I posted on different social media, people are commenting. I have one close friend who this inspired him to drag out his dusty mission journals, start reading through and make contact with people. Uh, my husband served in Mexico City, South Mission in 1984 to six, I think it was. And as we watched this together, he was literally crying. It's just, I mean, I feel like I'm tearing up. Just, just the way you interacted with the people and the love you had for them, the love they had for you, you know, even though you were talking about hard things, it, it is universal. It's not just about Mormonism or leaving a religion. It's about how people change and you have to learn to reconnect and, and to love through that. So, um, so uh, we saw quite a number of people that you talked to. Were there more? It, did you talk to, you know, did, was that just a, a representation of the different reactions? How many, how many people did you recontact? Um, well, a couple of things, you know, became clear. One is since the only place I could go to find people was to go to the church, that kind of meant by necessity that I was finding people who were still connected to the church. In other words, people who had left the church would be much harder to find because I wouldn't have a real basis to connect with them. I wouldn't have a place to go. I wouldn't have a community to ask. I did find some and a couple appear in the film. Um, I, I'm sure there are more that didn't, but I, I would say that what was remarkable to me was the actual actually of the people that i knew and had baptized the, the the kind of activity rate was remarkably high and um there are a lot of ways to think about that one that i thought about and, and felt was important to include in the film i mean and you mentioned rebecca that uh well you, you said something that jogged this in my mind that you know my dad had gone to guatemala on a mission 25 years before i had and when I got my, and, and it was a, a, a extremely important experience for him, life defining. His best friends still had been mission companions. That he 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 just it, it meant everything to him. And he went at a time in 1954 when not very many people went to that mission. And you know he was from Salt Lake, and all of his friends were going to European mission, which I guess from his point of view was kind of where you went, where you wanted to go. You get called to the you know England or France. And so when he got called to Central America. He felt at first his initial reaction was disappointment and kind of disbelief. But then later he realized that this was it, it would it just became a really important experience to him. And so when I got the call to go to Guatemala, it just was this it was a 
really meaningful experience for him. And I've always had a really close relationship with my dad. I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm different or I'm more special to my parents than my other siblings, but we always had a, an unusual and a unique connection through Guatemala and our missions. And because I was always the child that was kind of most like my dad. And so he was um, very involved. And, and so the, you, you can see that was an additional piece. When I got down there, I mean, my mission, my second mission president, the one that, that I eventually worked with in the office as his assistant, and uh, who became this general authority, Carlos Amado, he had been a boy when my dad was a missionary and remembered my dad as this, this guy who had sort of helped give him some, you know, encouragement and inspiration at a crucial time. And so he just, you know, he came right to me when he met me. And he, he I, I, I will say flat, flat out that I think he always thought more highly of me than he than I deserved him to. But, uh, you know, that kind of came with how I felt about my dad and my family. And so um, the the uh, experience down there of finding people who were not connected was really it was hard to find people who were not in the church. Now, when I when I this is an important piece, when I came back, I also interviewed a bunch of my uh, companions who were from the United States. And the original intention was to include that in the film as well. But it's it. Those interviews went very differently. There was a lot more judgment, a lot more. Uh, those were much more. Uh, I don't know if I call them confrontational, but but in a way they were. Um, they the 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 North American companions I had just had a much harder line on me, and talked much more about their disappointment in me. Without the, there wasn't didn't seem to be as much warmth to it, and. Um, at a certain point, it, it, it's not, I, I didn't not include them because of that. I actually thought that would make an interesting piece to the film. It was just that at a certain point, I realized that that the film in many ways was about the people in Guatemala. And so I decided that it, it made the most sense for the film to take place in Guatemala and to stay there. And you notice uh, towards the end, you may not remember. And, and throughout, there's a lot of footage of people on the streets, people getting on buses, just life in this in Guatemala City on the street for people. And I really wanted that, the people in a kind of anonymous sense to be a character in the film. Um, that was important to me. So, so that was one reason why I decided that. Um, so, so really, the people I was able to find in Guatemala, the vast majority were, were active in the church and had never departed. If they had, they had come back. And so it was it was an interesting thing and you you probably you may recall that on many occasions when I'm talking to people in the film I, I make references about how well it, the church sort of is different for me in the United States than it was here here it made more sense to me it was a simpler audience I felt more connected to the community uh in the United States I feel more institutional static I feel more complicated sort of thoughts about what's happening and it, I don't feel as as connected or as welcome and um that that was true. It still it still is true. Who, who knows what what would have happened if I if I just I don't know stayed on and lived in Guatemala as as many missionaries and as I did at one point thought oh, I want to come back. I definitely thought that. Um, so it, it was it was very very interesting in that regard. And I guess just to finish at least at this point the piece about my dad. You know when I came back and was making the film, he was the biggest supporter of the film. He donated money to the film a significant amount to help me make it. Um, he volunteered to, to work for it. He was the driver for us when I was shooting interviews in Utah. Um, and he stuck with it all the way to the very end until and until he died a couple of uh, a year and a half ago. 
he still wanted to invite his missionary companion friends over to watch this film. It, it's it, it, he, yeah, he behaved. It could, I could have been making a film about my strong relationship to and belief in the church. And he would have had the same set of reactions. It, I, it was re kind of remarkable to me because it never seemed to be a real issue to him that what I was doing in the film was kind of explaining and coming to terms with why I was not involved in the church. He just loved the fact that I was doing it and it was about Guatemala. And I mean, that was a really important bonding experience. And you, you probably saw that in the dedication at the end of the film, but I, um, that, that was really important as well. And so, you know, when I came back from my mission, I realized pretty quickly that my friends in the church went one of two ways. They either stayed in the church and had a level of commitment that, that I wasn't able to have, or they left and took a really oppositional stance a hard critical stance towards the church. And, and that didn't ever really make sense to me either. Uh, in part because I was close to my family, in part because I had so many people that I loved who were Mormons. And so I wasn't really sure how to how to deal with it, but I knew that, that, that taking either kind of a hard, the church is ridiculous, it's a bunch of idiots, what are they doing? I can't believe I was duped by it. Or just full, full on, you know, like acceptance. Neither of those made sense to me. And so I was in this middle ground and you can see me in there muck mucking around there when i'm when i'm doing the film um so anyway we took this month-long trip around the, the country and got a lot more than i thought we would um and i thought wow i've got this thing shot i came back and i quickly cut together a short trailer a, a just a you know preview and I submitted it to this this thing in New York that at the the Paley Center in, in New York City. It, it's a it's a they have this kind of prestigious competition that's called the Pitch Fest everywhere. They just take films that are just being shot and have just pitches. They don't have anything cut, and they took mine and four others. And so I went to New York with my dad, and he he wanted to go, so he he went. And along with five other filmmakers, we we were reviewed in front of this board, this huge audience, and this board of you know a person from MTV and HBO and all these different companies who were evaluating it. And I remember at that time just being really excited and thinking, you know, in a year or two, this film will be done. Uh, but what actually was ahead for me was a thirteen-year process of struggling to edit this film that involved a lot of uh, stoppage, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. Before, before we get into that part of the story, okay. I, I, because you, there's a lot to unpack here, and this is really right. a fascinating story. I'm enjoying this thoroughly. But I, I, I want to get back a little bit to your time when you're in, interacting with the people in Guatemala. I have to tell you, I'm watching this film as a never mo evangelical, and I'm like, don't tell them you left. Don't tell me that because it you had such a really wonderful, warm relationship with these people and they love the church and they love you. And there was always this part where I was like, man, I, I did. I was like, man, I, I kind of wish you wouldn't. I mean, I can understand why you felt like you needed to go there and do that. But then was there another part of you was kind of regretting like, man, I should have just just I should just talk to these people and just not even talk about the me leaving the church you, you understand uh, the, my, I, why I have that response <laughs> i do understand and uh let me answer it this way you know there are uh, here and there there are people who are have been real detractors about this film not mormons i'm sure there are those but i don't i haven't had conversations with them 
Um, cause I, I guess I, I sort of feel like most Mormons haven't really watched this film, but, um, including in my extended family, but there were a few people that, that whose position, I remember one friend saying to me, you know, this is a really, really egotistical film because you're going back there to these people who, for whom you were an heroic figure in their story in their, their salvation story, really. Their lives were changed and you played a huge part in it. And now you come back and, and just to sort of address your own personal neuroses or belief issues or whatever, you're dumping this on them and potentially harming what they believe, but also just affecting this relationship. Like kind of where do you get off doing that? It seems so narcissistic. And that, I mean, and you know, I I can't deny it. I mean, that criticism hurts, um, because I I I think about that. Probably there's a part of me that wonders about that, that doubts that, doubts myself, and says, "What was I doing this for?" Um, because you know, I, why did why make a film about this? Why was it just to get a film made? Was it for my career? Um, and and that's a part I hope we will talk about is like why a film? Why didn't I just go back and meet him? Why, why make a film about it? That that's an interesting question too. But I, I guess I realized that in the end, my my answer is: if the friendships are real friendships, then they deserve honesty and respect. And if I'm going to engage with these people, I I owe it to them to be honest about who I am, because that otherwise I'm not really taking them seriously and respecting them as people who have made decisions about their own lives and what they believe and. I'm I'm kind of protecting them, and and I guess I I just decided that that made more sense to me and felt more right. This is not a simple issue for me. It's complicated. If you come to a screening and start lodging that complaint at me and going at it, I'm gonna feel bad. I'm not gonna deny it because I I want I think about this. And I just real quick I want to just this time <clears throat> we haven't mentioned what years did you serve your mission? <clears throat> I I went from seventy nine to eighty one. Okay. Yeah. And so, if I can interject a little bit about this, because I do understand this, the reasoning behind it as somebody that steps away from an organization for whatever reason that you're raised in, and most of your relatives are still in, and this is my situation, there's this thought that you want people to know the real you, but you also feel like you need to protect them. And so the deeper the friendship, you feel at some point, you know, I just need to sort of, <laughs> I want you to know me, you know, and I have many people in my life that don't know me, my own parents, because I feel that I can't reveal in that way. So I can see why someone would say that's narcissistic to, to tell someone where you're at, but the way you did it was so loving and so respectful of the relationship that you were in. And they were so loving back to you. I was actually very jealous of that. Um, I never served a mission, but just in personal relationships where many people don't know me, what I really think or who I am, I was jealous of your courage in doing that. And I was sort of hopeful seeing their reaction, even thinking, God, I wonder if I went out a little bit more out of my comfort zone and revealed a little bit more, maybe I would have a similar loving reaction or maybe I wouldn't. <laughs> so I'm still on the fence, but it's, it's an interesting place to be, Steve, that not everybody can understand um, unless you find yourself there. So, and I would add that uh, I, I, I think that whatever success I had with that and how well it seemed to go in Guatemala, 
it's it's a much more complicated picture in the United States for me with people who are closer to me in, in my extended family. I, I I have the, I would say the luxury or the blessing or the great good fortune of having had a nuclear family where after a period of adjustment, when some of the kids in, in our family left the church, myself kind of being the first one, um, we all have a great deal of respect for love for each other and a close relationship. And it, it's taken some time to get to that, but there's no harsh judgment or dismissiveness or disrespect in my in my family. Now, that doesn't cover extended relatives. That's a different question. But um, in my immediate family, that's been a huge source of support. I mean, the first group I showed this film to when I finished it was, I, right when I finished it, it was in this, uh, my parents had just had their 65th anniversary and the eight of us, no spouses, no grandchildren, nothing, just the eight of us in the original family went to a place up near uh, Park City and had a kind of weekend retreat and I showed the film. And uh, it was a really important and moving experience. And I was I was sort of nervous about that, about how they would all react. But but one thing that was really important to me in making this film, I realized, you know, there's absolutely times when I, there, there there's material that I shot, there are things that happened, things that I thought that could have been included in the film that would have given it much more of a would have made it feel much more of a, an attack on the church, a criticism of the church. And I went through and it was, it was really important to me to prune all of that out. I did not want to have a film. In a way, I don't think the film is about the church. <laughs> and I wanted that to be the case. It's, it, it, to me, it's about a personal journey of, of discovering and coming to terms with what one believes and what matters. And it happens to be a Mormon who's doing it. And that's the context. But it's not a it's not a it's not a judgment on the church. It's not weighing in saying this is what the church is, good or bad. It there's there are of course implicit judgments happening there about what people decide and what they think. But for me, I I really wanted it to be respectful and kind, but honest in all directions. And and I and it that was that took a long time. And and I, I think that the whole duration of the editing process. I mean, I edited this film about eight different times. There were like there were like eight different cuts. And I mean, there was a there was a cinema verite version. There was a whole different versions of this film. And in the end, I had resisted voiceover, but in the end, I just realized that the, the core truth was this was my story, and I had to tell it in my words. And so I, I had to write voiceover, and that's that's why the final version was this. But you know, I kind of feel like the years of editing. I, I was trying to solve questions that maybe you never solve in life, which is what do you really believe? What is the the core, what are the core values of, of your existence? And so it made the editing process much more than just cutting a film. It made it an existential quest that I felt like when I finished the film, I had to know the answers to. And that's that kept pushing off the completion of the film. It became a joke, really. I finished so many other films. This thing just stayed with me and stayed with me and stayed with me. You know, people see me I hadn't seen in years that say, how's Elder Pingree, you know, and, and um, it was really depressing. And I remember when I finished it, just being in shock for weeks, I'd wake up in the morning and think, oh, my gosh, I finished that film. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, well, let's talk about that. You were going to you're alluding to this. So this because I think this is, sounds like a very I didn't realize it took you this long to do it. So I kept on trying to think, OK, when did he serve his mission? Was it in the 90s? You know, I couldn't quite figure out the time period. And so, the, and I think this 13-year journey is probably a very important part of your life. So let's just, you said you'd suffered depression. There were, you know, multiple different edits. 
maybe take us through that story because that sounds very fascinating to me. Okay, so and when we're beginning, give me a place. We're talking about my my early life or post mission. No, I'm I'm talking about the 13 year period. 13 year period. Okay. That that you um, shot the film and finally completed it. That that's probably you could probably make a documentary in and of itself about that. Well, the, you, there is a little piece in the film that that really explicitly acknowledges this is a film and why am I making it as a film and that that wasn't there until the very end. Um, let me just say this also though, you know, I. I spend a lot of time I wrote this this statement often with films you know festivals ask for a statement from the director and and so in an early festival I had to write one and I ended up writing basically articulating what we're going to talk what we're talking about here which is why it took so long and what it meant and so if anyone's if if anyone's interested if you go to the website for the film which you can see when you go it's attached there the director statement you could read that um so when I got back, I, I, again, we're back in 2007, and I'm thinking this is going to happen quickly. And I just started to work on the edit. And at a personal level, I remember feel I remember this thing happening, where I would spend hours working on editing, and then I'd have this visceral, this visceral kind of drop in energy and feeling and i'd I just sink my spirits would sink and I'd, I'd have to get up and leave for a while and not look at it uh and i realized and after a while i kind of stepped back and thought this is kind of a depression pattern i'm having it's really because you know when when i went to shoot the film i needed to go back and read my journals a to find some of the names of people but just whatever and i realized i couldn't do it and so what i actually had the producer again had no relationship to mormonism or anything i said read these journals for me and make some notes to remind me and so i didn't read the journals she read them she gave me notes and said here's what's in this one here's what's in this one here are some names and there was this avoidance thing that had been there for a long time but what what, and and for me what was i avoiding i mean i think you know uh, let me shame played a huge part in all this um you know, and the sources of the shame, I think, is its own story. But but let's just say that I, like plenty of Mormons or people who, who struggle with their beliefs or, or with their own view of their own worthiness, I, I struggled a lot with shame growing up. You know, I never felt like I was doing it right. I never felt like I was fulfilling the requirements. I never felt like, you know, when, when Carlos Amado called me to be an assistant, I spent the next week in bed because of stress. Uh, I was so wiped out by that because I just thought, what is he doing? I, I'm so unworthy. I'm so not the person he should be doing. He's making a horrible mistake. And I, you know, th- I'm going to be found out. Uh, and um, so so I think that this this question of like how I viewed myself, that that's a big part of why I think it's hard to confront people. And maybe going to Guatemala was at some level, I sensed that that was a place where I could con- speak to people directly about about who I was and where I was, ironically. Um, but this, this, so, so my depression and my struggle with sort of my view of myself as a worthy Mormon or a person who had done good things or the right things was always part of, I think, what was eating at my ability to get traction with the film and to keep moving forward. And, and I really do think in a very big picture way, the idea of finishing the film stood for answering the questions and solving them and then inside I I couldn't I didn't know how to solve those questions um you know the 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 ending of the film 
which I, it's not as though there's a, it's a huge spoiler alert, but I actually would like to leave it because I think the ending of the film is there for people to watch and it has whatever effect it has because you've watched it and you get to the end. That ending was something that I didn't sort of figure out until the end of this 13 years. I mean, we're talking about maybe a month before the film was done. And because I still, I, I had determined I was going to finish it. And I was, I'll be honest, I was literally hiring people to make me finish the film. Paying, paying an editor to come and assist me because I knew if I was paying somebody who showed up every day, I had to show up every day and do it. If it was left to me, I'll get it done myself. I, I decided maybe it would never get done. So I was hiring people around me to finish a film that I had to kind of stay with. And, um, you know, I, I think throughout that, I, I left the church. I went to graduate school in Chicago. I started to sort of see if I could be part of a world that wasn't the Mormon world. It was when I was in Chicago in my early to mid-20s that I, I really stopped going to church in a kind of a complete way. Uh, I, I The year before graduate school, I had gone to London to live for a year, and, and I was a, a, actually the teaching assistant uh, for Gene England in BYU Study Abroad in London. And that was a really crucial time. Um, I, I know this isn't about Gene England, but I, I'm just going to mention that, and for those who are listening, he was a, an important Mormon intellectual, um, but a professor at BYU and had a huge influence on me. I, I, he was a very close mentor. And um, I remember having a conversation with him because I wasn't going to church and I was a TA and the BYU study abroad, they liked their TAs to go to church because I was sort of an example to all these students, right? The BYU students who were there. And I remember having a conversation with him and, and at one point in the conversation, him saying to me, it might be the right thing for you to leave the church. That was a really important conversation. Um, I'd never had one like that with my dad. I feel like I had something close to it later towards near his death. And I actually interviewed my dad for the film and asked him this question directly that I'd never asked him. I said, how do you feel about me leaving the church? And he said, um, and this isn't, it didn't make it into the film for a lot of reasons we could talk about, but he said, I guess I feel like deeply saddened and brokenhearted because you're saying that the things that matter most to me in my life don't matter to you. But I also respect you for, for having the courage to make your own way and decide what you believe. And you know, that I think sort of was the, <laughs> that was the best we were going to get. I think it was, it was a very honest conversation and I didn't, um, it meant a lot to me. Um, I think since he's been gone, I've, I've noticed, you know, different members of my family have struggled in different ways with, with making peace with his being gone because of things that they, they feel like they didn't say to him, but I didn't ever have, I didn't have that experience. I, I was able to say everything. And I think it was because of the film. Um, so I don't know. I feel like I've gone far afield from the question we started with. Uh, <laughs> I love how you say toward the end, had I completed this five years earlier, mm-hmm. it would have been completely different. Had I waited another five years, it would have been completely different. And that's just a journey, which is what I think that this documentary absolutely portrays what an LDS mission was like, especially in the era, which is like I said, my husband started at that time and he was so overwhelmed by watching it because it was, it's such a accurate depiction of the feelings and the emotions and immersing yourself in the culture. One thing I thought was very interesting, um, and I've talked to other missionaries from the era that served in these countries where th- there are things going on socially and politically 
that you're just not even aware of. You're so focused on the mission aspect of it. And you mentioned then later you look back and kind of put it in a context. You started to realize politically what had been happening back then in the early 80s and that had an impact on you. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I thought that was a very poignant part of the film. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because my mission experience kind of went from being an experience that I I had and that was familiar to a community of Mormons. And in my life, it slowly, as I did the film and went through this 13 years of trying to make it and involving more and more people to help me, none of whom were Mormons, it increasingly became a film about Mormons that, that was connected to a whole different community. And um, in that context, it was really obvious question for people like, so you're this missionary in Guatemala and just other stuff is happening and you're, you don't pay any attention to it at all. And that was absolutely something. I mean, there's that sequence in the film where I go back and I'm talking about some of the, these people that were shot and I was sort of near there and, and how that affected me and how I, how I repressed it, how I just compartmentalized it because I had no, I had no idea what else to do with it. It just had to go into kind of like a closed box. Um, but that bothered me. The more that I, you know, learned about Latin America and Guatemala and its history after my mission and contextualized what I was doing, the more I felt at times some shame about that and embarrassment that I hadn't paid more attention to what was happening, especially because when I went back and you see a sequence in the film, um, you know, I went into downtown, into Guatemala City, to this in front of the Supreme Court, where there are all these protests happening about all the killings of the indigenous peoples in Guatemala over the years through their long civil war. And I'm looking at these signs and these posters of, you know, our children who disappeared. And I'm I'm trying to match dates and I'm realizing, oh my gosh, like I was literally in this town when this was happening three miles away. A massacre of, of kids in a school or, and, and, you know, and I said it in the film, I I was told pretty clearly in, in my mission, the rules were simple. The only two ways to get sent home immediately, commit adultery or have sex or talk politics. You cannot talk politics with people. And so it was just a hard door that was shut. And yet I was seeing things. You know, I remember seeing this man one morning being, uh, we were walking Guatemala City, my companion and I, and across the street, this, this Jeep pulled up and this man was, like kissing his wife goodbye, but he had a briefcase. He was going off to work and they they took him. They just literally like abducted him. And I did have that view. Well, I'm a Mormon missionary. I'm wearing, you know, garments. I'm I'm blessed and protected. I'll I'll be okay. I didn't spend really any time fearing for my safety. But I had this strange kind of detached observing uh, where I had to Put whatever feelings or, you know, I don't know if you want to call it trauma or, but, you know, you, that's not something you respond to with no response. And I, I just filtered those feelings very quickly into a place they had to go where they weren't active. Um, and so I felt, I felt, I didn't feel great about that. And I really wanted to include that in the film without making it a film about the politics, because there were plenty of people, some of the ones who said, what a narcissistic thing you're doing, who thought, you need to include much more about the politics. And I said, but that's not really what the film's about. 
It's not a political reckoning. I, I, I respect the importance of that. I, I do it myself. There's, there's a conversation in my life about that, but this film isn't that story. Um, and, and so that's why it, in the end, what you see in the film politically, you see, you know, I include pieces of, of information, basic pieces about the civil war to give some historical context, what I thought was important and necessary, but it's, it's not excessive. There's not that, there's not a lot there about that. No, I, I felt it was a pivotal moment. It definitely um, portrayed missionaries are kind of a stranger in a strange land, <laughs> uh, especially when they're in a country, you know, a foreign country. So I love that. Um, on a lighter note, the other thing that I really liked was the little exchange with your crush, <laughs> that wonderful woman, the principal of the school. I just, that was just, you know, because all missionaries, I think, have experiences like that. And do you want to talk a little bit about that? I just thought that was a just a charming part of the film. And she was just lovely. I mean, what a lovely person. And, and you guys were just so cute in your interaction together. Well, it's really funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things when I had the producer go through my journal, I said, identify some passages that would be relevant for the film. And one of the passages that she showed me was me writing about Miriam. And you, I included those in the film eventually. Um, and then by the way, let me pause here and say, all of the early tape material of me, my voice, both at my farewell and in the mission, the tapes I sent to my brother, uh, and then the, the very last piece, which was actually spoken at a meeting when my parents left to be mission presidents in Ecuador. Um, that plus the actual passages in my journal that I, and I did through a kind of animation on the screen. I resisted including that stuff for a long time. Why? Simple. It, it made it inc me incredibly self-conscious. The very hardest things for me to include because... I mean, and this gets back to the Miriam thing. She brings me a passage. I'm writing about Miriam and I'm saying things like, I love her bad. I want to take her to the States. And I'm just like, did I really write that? And I did. And I thought, I guess I have to be honest with who I was. It makes the film very difficult for me to watch still, still with an audience. Um, but I thought, you know, it was interesting because as I started to include that stuff, almost without exception, that was the material that people engaged with the most was my young self talking so kind of idealistic in, in many ways and believing and, and hopeful. And some of the stuff I said, you know, just, I think, what was I thinking? What was I saying? Not not as in what an, what an idiot, but just that I was so willing to just say stuff that now I feel like, I don't know if I, I, I would say that, but I, with Miriam, you know, I just, I thought a lot about, do I want to include that aspect? But then, it, but I just thought, look, if I'm like any, like most people, this is absolutely a factor. You're 19 years old as a male. You're, you know, you can look at whatever study you want. Physiologically, you're at a pretty high sexual point in your life in development, right? So you're certainly not oblivious to this. And suddenly you're there and you can't really have any meaningful contact with the opposite sex. Um, and, you know, and I'm speaking for me as a white heterosexual man being a missionary. I know that everyone has their own path and there would be different things. But for me, it was that. I remember the family that one family I lived with, the daughter was always flirting with me. And it just, it was brutal. It was brutal. Um, you know, I, I remember going into a haircut place once. And I mean, I'll just, I'll be very blunt. I went into a, a haircut to get my haircut in Guatemala City. 
And I remember I was in with my companion and went in there. And while I was waiting to get my haircut, on the tables were a bunch of, you know, like Playboys and magazines like that. And it was it was like you you could have put like it was like there was an electric magnet in the room. As soon as I saw that, I was just like. <sighs> and I remember going and, you know, just very, of course, you know, I'm sure it would have been hilarious to watch if someone had filmed it. Me sort of slowly getting closer and closer. And I'm going to do that. And I mean, I, 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 I it was almost like a, a, a sexual experience. It was so I was so kind of. And I think that that's what it speaks to the fact that when you're 19, and you you have a lot of hormones and you're a very sexual person where you it's there and you're you're seeing a lot of people and you can't go near them i mean i, I remember just feeling the, the 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 incredible irony of the fact that when i was the the branch president at the end of my mission i was interviewing teenage girls to baptize and asking them about their sex lives and that that was really hard for me um hard and and if i'm honest hard because I was really, it was a war in my head, you know, I, I, I couldn't be completely detached from that. I, it, it was hard to not like for that not to be a turn on to me. It was, it was, it was very complicated. And, and so deciding about the Miriam experience, you know, I had attraction to different people, but she was different. And, you know, I really was infatuated with her. And so we just, we decided to go back and it was, it was, it was so fascinating that she was right there had stayed in that town was now the principal i will say you know it, it was it was the person you saw in the film uh named lisa who's the producer you know she was my girlfriend at the time and so and when i so when we talked to miriam you know miriam was talking to me about this with knowing that my girlfriend was sitting right next to me and she had no problem just saying, you know, when I said, well, what would you have done if I had tried to kiss you? And she said, I would have kissed you back. And she loved it. You know, she just, that's one of the, the best moments. But, you know, after that interview, her husband came home from work on his motorcycle and she just like rushed us out of the house <laughs> because she said, he won't be happy about this. He won't be. And, and it was really interesting that uh, uh, we, we, we just kind of had to get right out of there um yeah no wow. the phrase steve is lock up your heart this is what they told everybody but i guarantee you that just experience is what every missionary you know they have all those stories and you're right you're put in those situations where you're in close contact with people your age that you know it's a very interesting situation so yeah. i would love to hear more about when you met um your old mission president who is who is now a general authority at the church building to me that the way he was hugging you and i mean that was just, just every moment in the film is incredible everyone please watch this <laughs> but that was just an amazingly emotional moment that i could tell and your dad was there with you is that right i think i saw him kind of on yeah just if you could talk about that i just thought that was and how much longer after the filming was that well that was it's important you know carlos amado I mean, look, if anybody watches the film knows that I have a very, he has a very special place in my heart and I, I love him and I respect him a lot. And I say that and also must add, I'm not sure how much I want to talk to him now because one of these times it's not going to be that conversation probably. And, um, you know, when I was, when he, when he called me to be his assistant, you know, I'm 20 and he's 36 He's young. He has tiny kids. 
And because of his, you know, kind of heroic view of my dad, he thinks that I'm awesome just from the get-go and, and treats me that way. Now, we, I'm not saying we didn't have our, our issues, but, you know, I look back and, and I, I came in there and one of the first things I said to him was I said, you know, I'm not a, a huge, I'm not a super conventional Mormon. I, I'm a pretty progressive Mormon. I believe stuff. I doubt things. I ask questions about stuff. I'm, I struggle. <laughs> uh, and, and he was fine with that. And I remember him, he was supportive of me saying all kinds of stuff in mission conferences, his own conferences, stuff that I'm guessing would not fly today. And, um, but, but I, you know, we were very, very close. And for whatever reason, we, we had some, I, I just, there was a kind of a, an equal friendship that developed along with this sort of church relationship we had. Um, and we were just very, very close. And, you know, he thought it was important that I, I end my mission outside of the office. And so I went and opened this small town. And one of the things that happened there, I, you know, I, I was sleeping on this, this straw mattress that had all these fleas in it, and they just ate me alive. It was all over my wrists and my ankles. And I lost a ton of weight. And I just remember when Carlos Amado came out to visit when we had our first meeting in that town, right before I went home. And I remember him sitting there and he was just weeping. Um, and I think because he, and I, I later he said, I was crying because I felt so horrible for having put you through that, to see you suffering like that. And I don't think I was suffering as much as he thought I was. I mean, yeah, it was a bummer to have flea bites all over, but I, I knew that they would pass. And um, But we just had a very deep connection. And so when I was back and I was thinking who to talk to in the film, I thought it was it would be important to talk to him. And I hadn't spoken to him in you know, many, many years, decades, really. I'm trying to think of how when the last time I spoke. I mean, he had, he knew a little bit about me because he ran into my parents in Salt Lake and did, he'd ask. But I hadn't spoke, talked to him directly since probably, maybe I talked to him within five years after my mission and then not again. So it was at least 20 years. And I, I, I knew that I needed to try and get him into the film, but I also had this feeling in my heart, like, do I really want to have this conversation with him? Is this going to, this is going to be even more depressing than the ones in Guatemala. And because um, I don't know what he'll say to me. And, but I decided I, I had to try. So I started calling, leaving messages at the church office building. And I wasn't sure how to get anything back. You know, it was never directly. But then one day, uh, the day before I was leaving, I'd been in Salt Lake and this was the year, the same year of the shooting in Guatemala. So was, this was 2007. And I I'd sort of accepted, I, we weren't, I wasn't going to talk to him because I hadn't gotten, heard anything. And then I got a message back saying, that talking, he gave me a, an email address. And so I wrote him an email and said, can we talk just even briefly? I've got to leave. Um, I don't have much time, but I could stop by where you are. What should we do? And he, he said, sure, come by the church office building. And just let me know when you're here. And so we were, I was literally leaving town and I had these two guys with me and I hadn't spoken to him on the phone about, uh, or in an email about like, we're making a film. Can we do this on camera? I hadn't asked. So I said to them, I said, let's have the cameras rolling, but keep them in the car. Cause he may not want to do this. So we pulled up in front of the church office building and I texted him. 
And I thought he would say, well, come up to this floor, whatever. But he, and he just said, I'll be right there. And he just rushed right down. And he came out. And what you saw when we start talking, my first question to him was, I said, I just have to say, I'm making a film and I'm, I'm filming this experience. Do you care? And he just kind of looked at me and said, no. And so I turned back and, and you know, then that's what got us on camera. And then we just proceeded. And he, he didn't, he knew I didn't go to church and he didn't care. He didn't want, or no, I don't know if I was saying he didn't care, but he didn't want to talk about it. He just said, that's for you to work out with your bishop or whatever. He just said, I, I just remember, he just said, I've missed you so much. And he just hugged me for so long. And it was so genuine. And I, it was really meaningful to me. It was really meaningful to me. And, and I, you can see it there. You know, my dad was sort of watching it and was connected. It was, it's a very fat, interesting moment to have the three of us there. And that's, that's the only time I've ever been in the same space with those, both those people. And, um, and I decided to include in the film because I, th I thought it was really important to show that it, the church isn't monolithic. It's not just a single organizational response that he, his, I'm sure there are plenty of general authorities or other mission presidents who would react, have reacted very differently. But he was responding from his heart, and I, I was as well. And I thought that that was a really important thing to show because it, it it underscored that when I was a missionary and I had this relationship with him, it it was deep and it had was about love, and it wasn't just about, oh, you're a missionary and you're a successful missionary, so that's why we have this relationship. And if you leave the church, you know, I, I'll stab me in the heart. He didn't have that reaction, so. Um, I, I it was important to me to include that. I have no idea if he's seen the film. I have no idea what he'd think if he did. I I I, I'm, I have some anxiety about it, but I don't know. I have to say it was amazing. Uh, you had mentioned how you were very reluctant to include your journals and the recordings you made because you're very self-conscious of that. And I actually watched this with my mother and she said, boy, it, it was amazing how um, thoughtful of a person you were for your age. Um, it, you 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 could tell you're you were a person who thought things through. You 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 struggled with things. Um, even just even talking about when you uh, when you spoke about when you returned from your missionary and, and and I mean it was just an amazing thing. I thought that you documented all this stuff, and then to hear that you didn't even want to look at it and you had somebody else look at it for you. I mean that just there's so much going on here it, within you. And it, it and and just to read the journals were remarkable and hearing those recordings were amazing. Um, I'm so glad you included that because it would have been a much different film, but it told us so much. It's like we got to know Elder Jeff when he was a young man. We heard his voice and his writings, and then we got to hear from you later in life and 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 how you were able to um engage your own writings and your own recordings in a very remarkable way. And I said, what was that like for you? Uh, when I when I started making the film, I thought it was going to be, and this is how I pitched it to funders, it's how I presented it. It was gonna be about this relationship between these two characters the missionary Elder Pingree and the older Jeff Pingree returning to the mission. And because it took me so, so damn long to finish the film, 
it, it, it added a third layer. There's missionary, Elder Pingree. There's Jeff Pingree going back to make the film. And then there's me now. And yes, the me now and the me going back to make the film after 25 years are much more aligned, but we're not the same person exactly. And I, I say this not because that third layer had to be added, but because it actually gave me ways to figure some problems out in making the film about how to address it. And so constructing the film, the structure of the film became really important. And the main challenge ended up being how to tell these kind of parallel stories without it becoming confusing so that you realize that you're really getting the story of the same single human being but at different times and on really really important and consequential different premises so you know i look at elder pingree and i both don't recognize him and think he's absolutely me both things are very much active for me. Um, sure, I hear that. And I mean, you know, I heard the tapes and thought, oh, I sound like an idiot. That was my primary response. I, mean, I should say, I'm a really shy person and a really private person. So, of course, the question, why the hell would you make a film about yourself? That's part of the whole reluctance. The whole, I've got to be, I, I just, I knew I was not going to enjoy it. I knew I was not going to be happy in front of the camera. And I knew it was always going to be hard for me to watch it. Um, and so, you know, it's not, it's, it's, uh, I, 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 you know, I always, I teach documentary filmmaking and I always think if you were going to, you know, if you, if you want to make a film about somebody, the best person you can find is someone who, for whatever reason, keeps journals, takes pictures, writes letters, because that's what you can use. And so unwittingly i had kind of constructed the ideal basis for a film that's not what was in my mind but that's what i'd done even though i couldn't look at it and so if that stuff hadn't been there i don't know how i would have made this film it would have been so different because in in my view the most beautiful materials are the are the, are the 35 millimeter you know kodachrome ectochrome slides that i shot and that my dad shot even 25 before that those sort of bizarre beautiful colors that come out from you know in guatemala Certainly, if you're looking at uh, poor people struggling who join the church, their world doesn't look that different in 1954, 1979, or 2016. It really doesn't. And um, so having all the material helped structure it and gave these sort of tracks, you know, it's Elder Pingree, then it's Jeff, the filmmaker, and then it's me commenting now. And, and, and my the voiceover ended up being me now, really. So, you know, you kind of see the two, Elder, missionary Elder Pingree, Jeff Pingree, the filmmaker, going back to find the people. And then me sort of over it all is in the voiceover. Those are the three layers. And um, I had a lot of cognitive dissonance because... You know, I, I went around, you saw me with my computer. I, I took in my iPhone and my computer and all those slides. And that was hugely important in helping me find people, track them down and then showing it to them and them saying, oh, my gosh, that's me back when there's there's that one conversation with a, with a woman who says, I don't remember any of this. And then her daughter says, oh, that's you right there, mom. What are you talking about? Um, she was she was one who had been baptized and was in that picture, and then she had left the church and was now an evangelical preacher for a different church. 
Um, she never, she refused to admit that she, that she knew me and had ever been connected to the church, but she's in the picture and her daughter says she is. Oh, interesting. Um, so yeah, it, it was a really, it was, it was a strange experience to try and reconcile all that. And I, you know, I, I think that ultimately I, you know, I believe we are all the same person and as we are from the beginning and we are also all many different people throughout our lives that's just who we would we're, we're divided on things we change we change our minds we make huge mistakes that we regret we do wonderful loving things that we can be proud of we're, we're all those things we're really we're complicated and at odds with ourselves in many ways and so you know we are many selves but but I, I don't in any way want to say whoa who was I how could that possibly be how could I have possibly gone on a mission I understand why I went on a mission. I understand why it made sense to me then, even though I didn't have the kind of certainty that most of my friends did or my companions, it still, it made sense to me. Um, and, and I, you know, that's, that's, I include that in the very setup voiceover of the beginning of the film, which is, I don't regret this. You know, I don't regret having been a missionary. I wanted to say that there, this isn't an, this isn't an attack job. I mean, let me say something about the title of the film that's relevant here. The film was just called The Return of Elder Pingree, and the title was always clear to me. Sometimes I don't like it, but it, it, it's never, nothing has ever else has ever been even close to making sense, because if you go back and you want to talk about it, the, the title has about 10 different meanings. <laughs> the return, it's like, whose return? My return? To what? For whom? Um, there's that. That was the title, The Return of Elder Pingree. After I finished it and was trying to get it with a distributor and get it out there to festivals, I was getting no traction. Uh, my earliest big success was that the Sundance Festival contacted me and said, we want to put program this, but we can't. And that's its own conversation hmm. um, about what they program, how often they want to touch Mormon things, their responsibility to talk about Utah related things, et cetera, et cetera. But so I thought it was going to be great, but I was having difficulty getting traction and then I was listening to a NPR, to a Fresh Air, where they were talking to Tara, what's her name, who had just written a book about Tara leaving. Westover. Tara Westover. Yeah, right there, book. Right there. And, and I remember thinking afterwards, I remember just thinking, if I'm, the sad truth is film festivals, and like many people, they love escape from a crazy cult story. That's not my story. But... I wonder if the, if I, the Return of Elder Pingree says nothing about Mormonism. It says, you know what it is. And so I thought, what if I added a subtitle that just sort of acknowledged that this is a story about someone kind of leaving a culture? And so I added, and I thought a lot about what could I add that I could sort of stand behind. And I added Memoir of a Departed Mormon. As soon as I added that to the title, got picked up. I'm not, that, that, that doesn't make me happy, quite honestly. Um, and there are times when I think I'd rather pull that off now and, and return to just the simple original title because I'm not interested in the title beating people over the head with, I'm out, it's done, I left, rejection. Um, it's not about that. It's about this process of return, which never really ends. You're returning to what? Yourself, your beliefs. It's always a move backwards and a move forwards. And so I guess my answer, my shortest, most poetic answer, Steve, is, is that I'm, I felt myself moving backwards and forwards at the same time. And that's... In a way, letting go of the film was accepting that that was a dynamic that was central to my life and was never going to stop. You know, and that's the thing that, you know, that 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 subtitle is very descriptive. And 
it I also one of the things I want to say too is if you are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I strongly recommend you watch this film because I think in many ways you'll find it to be very faith-promoting. Um, and this is not a bash on the church. And so I don't want you to be put off by that subtitle because really it's it it is true, it, it is a correct description. But I, it it would be unfairly uh, judged as being an anti-Mormon film, <clears throat> which this is not. I even brought it up how uh, in an interview the other day I did with Jonathan Neville about the, uh, he said even you said that in many ways you felt these people's lives were better off as a result of you uh, of them joining the church, and so in one sense um, this is a pro-Mormon film. <laughs> I think so. Absolutely. After I watched it, I thought I have no hesitation recommending this to most all of my relatives, siblings, friends are active LDS, and I have no problem telling them to watch this also as a window into someone's journey, maybe a little more of an understanding of this continuing journey, both in or out. I mean, I don't even like to use those words in or out. It really is a process. So Absolutely. I would love to hear a little bit about when you bore your testimony at that meeting that, you know, that's toward the end of the film. And I just thought it was so beautiful what you said. I, I, I just really had an impact. I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just to, what you just said to, you know, my immediate family has all watched this film and supports it. My relatives, very few have watched it, but the few who have, have said or been surprised they've been relieved to say oh i don't have to like feel bad or hate this film um most have avoided it though so uh yeah you know it was interesting because that moment in the film at the time i didn't realize it but it ended up kind of becoming the basis for how the film end ends how, how it kind of and i thought there was going to be more drama or something but you know the, the real payoff of the film if you're if you're looking at it as a film with a structure as films with a story is in that conversation afterwards about the experience with those people um who said you know you came here 25 years ago what matters is that you loved us not what you believe now da, da, da. that ended up being kind of the climax of the film and so yeah i mean you, you know i went back to that 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 branch now award now i think almost a stake in in ciudad real outside of Guatemala City. And that had just been a, a place where I was had really important relationships with a lot of people. And I, I my mission had taken a turn, you know, it had been so, so depressing for me early on. Um, and I, you know, I did not think that was going to happen. And I, you know, thank heavens that our, our, my cinematographer thought, well, they won't let me in with a camera, but I'm going through this window. And that the sound guy had just been smart enough to take the microphone and sit at the back with it on his lap so that we got the audio. Um, and I was sitting there thinking, I'm in here, it's great, whatever. And and when that kid said that, the, the son of the family I'd known, and he announced my name, I, I thought, okay, ugh, this is this movie's all about like integrity and honesty and what do you really believe and can you be yourself? And you're gonna, I can't go up there and just, just I can't just go up there and say things that, that just they want to hear that I just don't believe. I can't do it. But at the same time, you know, I know what they're expecting. Am I going to actually go up there and now have a collective experience that I've been having one-on-one -on -one where everyone is just 
So you heard what you heard me doing was a lot of improvising and searching really hard, almost desperately in my mind for what is a testimony? It's about what you really believe. So let's go with that. What do I really believe? What do I really believe that was there when I was a missionary that is still with me? And that's kind of where I went. It was not anticipated. It was not forethought. It really was an on-the-spot response that I can live with. I look look at it now and I, I see myself searching and struggling and mucking around and trying to rhetorically get it right and not, you know, which feels a little like I'm just trying to sell a message. But But basically I said what I really believed. I think it surprised a lot of people. I don't know what they thought. You saw that footage while I'm talking of people kind of looking around. I, I don't know what was in their heads, you know. Um, afterwards, a bunch of people talked to me. Maybe the ones who were disappointed didn't talk to me. Um, I didn't know. I didn't have any idea what was going to happen. I, I, I was worried that as soon as I was done that I was going to have to kind of leave and that would be the end of the conversation with those people. But it, it wasn't, so. Hmm. I, uh, I I thought that was uh, pretty remarkable. Um that you had the opportunity and then i'm so glad you explained to us the logistics because i was like how did he get the sound how did that happen and so that's how it worked the inside stuff there that's fascinating um you know i i'm just wondering jeff i i was uh i was an atheist for a long time as a matter of fact the period of time that you uh, were working on the shooting the film and all that that's roughly corresponds with the time that i would have identified as an atheist agnostic mm-hmm. and i um this, this story really touched me so much because, of course, I went through a similar journey, you know, leaving my faith, but then actually coming back to it. Uh, but still have all the stuff that made me an atheist still in my head. Right. <laughs> and and that but that's an important. So it's like an internal conversation that I have with myself all the time. And you are having an internal conversation with yourself, whether it's through this film, whether it's just your daily life. I think that you're still having this conversation. And I, I just want to know on a personal level, um, where are you at spiritually? Um, you know, I, I just, I just, because you're, you're, you are a very spiritual man. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that. I'm not sure everyone would say that, but um, Well, let me identify a few realities and true things for me. And then maybe I think there are two anecdotes that come to mind that I think might be good ways to answer that. Um, I have a, a deep love and respect for and a connection to my culture that is, it, it turns out is permanent. The, you know, there was a while when I was leaving the church where I didn't want to be identified that way, but I quickly realized, who am I kidding? Of course I'm a Mormon. It doesn't matter what I say, I believe now. I was so shaped by this experience in my family and the culture. I look at Mormons differently than I look at other people in other religions, including and especially different Christian versions of Christianity. Um, and I, I feel some protectiveness because I think Mormons are easily misunderstood, often misspoken for, are not afforded the same fair treatment. 
So if you read some of the things that are in, in the New York Times about Mitt Romney and Mormonism, and you substitute Judaism, that would not fly. So um, just out of just basic fairness, um, I mentioned earlier a lot of important people in my life, my life that I love. Some of the most, my family are, are Mormons, and um, let me also say I have some profound anger. And what I try and keep from almost being hatred at times for what I a lot of what I see happening around what people call Christianity. Mm. I'm pretty unhappy with the role that that Christianity in in its sort of overtly expressed evangelical conservative, let's support Donald Trump, I'll be honest, I'm sorry, form. Um, and I'm not commenting here on Donald Trump. I'm just saying, the way that Christianity is fused with politics in the United States, for the most part, makes me very uncomfortable and at times very angry because it has nothing to do with what, what for me, it has nothing to do with what I was talking about in that chapel. It's about power and manipulation and deception and things that I just, I'm really uncomfortable. So uh, that's complicated. Um, my dad, who died a year and a half ago, since I'm the one of six children who has no children, I'm the only one who doesn't. Um, I ended up spending a lot of time with him and my mom in his last years, taking care of them. That was one of the reasons that I think I just had the chance to talk with him more and have more of a relationship at the end of their lives. You know, I was there helping the things, you know, change the diaper, helping put his shoes on. Just seeing, seeing your dad, who was once a heroic, powerful, uh, he must know everything figure to being like a baby again. You know, it's 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 a hard process. It's a very humbling process. Um, I had conversations with him at the end, and, and there was one that maybe the last really coherent conversation. Um, he got COVID and uh, ended up being put in the hospital and we never saw him again. He died while he had it uh, in a hospital, basically. Um, and... And, and his mind was starting to really, he had an aggressive form of called uh, Lewy body syndrome. That's just a really aggressive form of Alzheimer's. Um, and it was very, very sad at the end. But before he went in, yes, he was old. Yes, he was losing his memory. Yes, he had some dementia, but he was still had really clear moments. And we had a conversation and we just talked. And I remember him saying to me, you know, because I said, because he felt a lot more anxiety at the end of his life about, me coming back to the church and one one Sunday dinner when I was there and some people were visiting he kind of said some stuff that I, I that really hurt my feelings and afterwards I we talked and I said so why do you worry about this so much he said I guess because I just I really worry that if, if you're not in the church you're not in our family and I want your our family to be together and I said I think about this all the time dad you know you're not going to be around much longer let's be honest and it's approaching and I'm aware of it and you're aware of it. And for you, it's a step in a process that you're very sure about. And for me, it's probably the end of everything. I can't count on anything beyond tomorrow. And so, you know, trying to at least get your head around and, and acknowledge what that, what that view might mean to somebody in this situation. It's, I remember just saying, it just, it really sucks when people who love each other believe very different things about, how life goes and what happens when it ends <laughs> because you're just thinking about really different realities. And I said, but I, I said, you know, 
because of my of my relationship with you and mom and everyone in our family, I hope you're right, <laughs> quite honestly, because I hope there's a life after this. I hope all that stuff is there. Uh, you know, I'm not interested in seeing certain general authorities, so I don't really buy into the you're going to this kingdom and you're going to this kingdom. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But but I hope there's a life after. I hope it continues. I hope it matters that this isn't just the end of it because I want to be able to see you again. I want relationships to continue. I want something about me to be eternal. I want that. I do. Eternal life and eternal progression were the, some of the concepts that always mattered the most to me in, in Mormonism and still do make the most sense to me. Um, and he said, all right, well, we're just going to have to, you know, agree to disagree and both, you know, like look to the future with hope. And we, that's where it ended. And that was my last real conversation with him about what it all meant. And, and that, that has meant a lot to me since he's been, been gone. I, um, that's one anecdote. The other anecdote is, is, uh, it has to do with the person that is my partner now, uh, who herself is a former Mormon. And we've talked on numerous occasions about how do we think about our relationship if we both think that it just ends? And, you know, we, we kind of at one point agreed to the, to this. This is very personal, but I'll tell you. Um, which is, let's hope for a, a life beyond this. And if it's there, let's promise we'll come and find each other. And if it's not, what more can be said? <laughs> it's over. Um, but but there is a, a hope I have. So to your question, to you about like you know my where am I spiritually? I don't think I'm ever going to be real comfortable being very institutional about belief. I just I'm not. You know, my dad he couldn't understand why I didn't go to church, and I know a huge part of it was simply because he was a Mormon to his bones. He was grew up in Salt Lake. He lived on the avenues. His neighbors were general authorities. His family, everybody was a Mormon, and it, it worked for him. He loved it. It was his community. It just was so much who he was. My parents moved out of, away from Utah when they got married. I didn't grow up in Utah. Uh, my relationship with the church, I have had I have many friends in the church. I've had many wards that were great communities. But I don't wake up and yearn to go and sit in a Mormon chapel. It's just a fundamental difference between me and my dad. And I don't yearn to sit in any chapel. Yet I love being in churches and chapels when I choose to be. For various services, for the pageantry for the art for the music for what people say but i'm i'm my spirituality is always going to be kind of a self-run thing and i hope for a hereafter and i hope that much of what i learned as a mormon is true and my foundational you know basic devotion to christianity i don't know if i want to call it capital c or lowercase c but basically just you know what you read in the new testament really to be honest those principles, whether you get them from Jesus in the New Testament or from Buddha or from some Eastern thing or Judaism, it's there in every major religion. The basic, the basic love is sort of the core of things message, and I buy that still. So in that sense, if you think that's really the message of Mormonism, then you could say I'm pretty lined up with Mormons. A lot of the other stuff I just don't buy. I'm not on board with it, and I'm not okay with it. So I don't think you're probably ever going to see me as an active Mormon again, that could, I, I don't ever say never because who knows what will happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, to me, I've always thought 
if God, if the question of God isn't a real question for you, then you're not really thinking much about anything <laughs> because you have to think about it. It's just because to think about that is to think about what life is and how long it will last and then what happens and why you even were born. And uh, I remember when I was teaching English at BYU, I started teaching, uh, I got a job as a TA my last year there teaching first year freshman English. And I remember we were reading some essays and people started asking me about belief systems. And I remember drawing the spectrum on the board and saying, well, there's atheism on this side. And then there's blind faith on this side. And then for me, agnosticism is somewhere in between. And I'm no more comfortable with blind faith than I am with atheism in its purest form because it, it insists on knowing something that I just don't know, which is, you know, there's no God, you know, there's nothing out there, you know, no, no, uh, I don't know that. All I know is that, that I, what I know is my struggle and the, the experiences that I've had, and they don't line up easily with any formula that I've gotten from the church ever. But there is there is sometimes overlap and and resonance and um, so I guess I would just say I I'm comfortable calling myself an agnostic because for me an agnostic is someone who isn't sure and so I guess maybe I would say I'm a hopeful agnostic a sort of spiritual agnostic I don't know am I answering your question <laughs> <laughs> I hope Steve is still there no I, I I you and I are very aligned on our views I don't think Steve that we've ever had a guest that uh, aligned with the way I think quite as much as Jeff this is very interesting to have this discussion so oh, it is. And i love what you said i i always say this too i say i'm a post-mormon but the word mormon is in there <laughs> you can't take it out you're still a mormon so i do feel like that too so steve are you having some technical issues are you okay yeah can you hear me uh, we can hear you okay, I didn't great hear great yeah so no I, I just something, something really strange has happened with my mouse and so i'm not oh. able to uh and, and then i was trying to fix it and then i lost the camera so i think this is actually probably a great stopping point yeah. i think we want to maybe do something again with jeff um whether we do it today or another time we'll see so i just want to uh thank uh jeff Pingree for coming on the program today and we really appreciate you very much i'm sorry about the technical difficulties that we were having <laughs> i just want to remind you don't forget to like and subscribe and hit the notification button for when a new episode comes out uh and also there will be links in the description for if you would like to support the channel on paypal as well as on uh, patreon and don't forget the merch store, mormonbookreviews.com. Again, thank you so much. Oh, and hold up the mug. Thank you so much uh, for doing that, Rebecca. And thank you so much, Jeff, for coming on the show today. And just a reminder, folks, Mormon Book Reviews is the place where all the voices of the restoration will be heard. Thank, thank you. you for having me. I really appreciate it and enjoyed the conversation. Thank Thanks. you.